0: G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is Luke chapter 7, all the verses 1 to 50, and a look at some of chapter 8. The subject is faith and faithfulness, and we're in files 10A, 10B, and 10C. The whole of these two chapters make up one section of Luke's narrative, so we're going to read them together, though we'll only look at chapter 7 in detail in this study. This is not least because of the striking similarities and differences in the people involved between the first and last passages, the first 17 verses of chapter 7 and the last 17 verses of chapter 8. We'll start by reading those two passages so that you can hear them side by side. The first question is going to be, what are the similarities and differences between these two passages? So listen carefully to work out what the answer will be. You will notice that the first passage is about the healing of a man and the bringing back to life of a woman's son. Now we read the first 17 verses of chapter 7.
1: When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, Go, and he goes, and to that one, Come, and he comes. I say to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country.
0: That first passage is about the healing of a man and the bringing back to life of a woman's son. Now we read from chapter 8, verse 40 onwards.
1: Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher any more. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened.
0: The first question then is, what is that second passage about? In what ways is it different from the first passage, and in what ways is it strangely similar? It may be hard for you to have picked up what is going on there. The second passage is about the healing of a woman and the bringing back to life of a man's daughter. And remember, the first one was about the healing of a man and the bringing back to life of a woman's son. So, second passage, woman, man's daughter. First passage, a man, a woman's son. Luke has obviously put these particular stories at the beginning and end of this section very deliberately, he has carefully constructed the whole section. The important question is why has he done this, apart from the fact that this was the way that they wrote things in the Roman world of those days. When we look at the two chapters together, we will see that he built them so that the stories of the second part reflect the first part. The first part has two healings in those first 17 verses we have already read then an account of the doubts of John the Baptist, and then something about the contrasting attitudes of people to Jesus. The second part, the second chapter, reverses that order, telling us about contrast attitudes to Jesus, then the doubts and rejections, this time by the Gerasenes, and finally the two healings we've already looked at at the end of chapter 8. In the middle is a parable about the man who sowed some seed, getting different reactions from the different types of soil. We can think of this as a reflection, because the second half is the mirror image of the first half. There are many of these reflections in the Bible. One very obvious example is in Amos chapter 5, and I'll read that. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. And if you can follow that through, you'll see that it starts with seek me and live. It ends with seek the Lord and live. It goes Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba, Gilgal, Bethel. That is a reflection. Actually, unlike most of the biblical reflections, that one does not have an important middle. In most of them, the middle is important to explain why the second half is slightly different from the first. In our example here in Luke, the middle, the parable, is clearly very important, though it doesn't alter the second part significantly. Luke wants us to see the whole section is about one subject. It's about faith and faithfulness. One Greek word has both meanings, whereas we split the two apart in English. By faith, we mean mainly mental agreement with the teachings of a religion. Faith goes on in our heads. By faithfulness, we mean living in a way that follows the teachings of that religion. Faithfulness goes on mainly in our actions. We will look at that more in the next study. We will go back now and read again those first 17 verses of chapter 7.
1: When Jesus had finished seeing all this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself are a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He was so amazed at him, and turning to the crowds following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterwards Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother and she was a widow and a large crowd from the town was with her when the Lord saw her his heart went out to her and he said don't cry then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still he said young man I say to you get up the dead man sat up and began to talk And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country.
0: Not for the last time, Luke has a story about a centurion. He wants Theophilus and us to understand that Christian faith was acceptable to these very significant people in the Roman world. The second question, then. We are told many good things about the centurion in those verses. We are told nothing about the widow of Nain. What can we learn from that? There will have been plenty of people around with a vague faith in God who kept the religious laws... But this Gentile centurion recognised that God was at work in Jesus and was prepared to act accordingly by trusting Jesus. Are we prepared to turn a vague faith into action when God works? Just possibly too, Luke knew the centurion because he joined the early church, but the widow of Nain did not do so, so he did not know her. Now we will read the account of the doubts of John the Baptist, in chapter 7, verses 18 to 35.
1: John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women... There is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized of John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for them because they had not been baptised by John. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children.
0: Question 3. John expected the Messiah to act like his idea of what a Messiah would do. Jesus, however quotes Isaiah from chapter 35, where it says, Will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped? The lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. And from Isaiah chapter 61, the first two verses, which say, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken-hearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's Jesus' way of telling John that he, John, is wrong. In what ways was John wrong? What did they expect the Messiah to do? What was Jesus doing that was unexpected? John evidently shared the general expectation of what the Messiah would do. John will have understood himself to be the messenger of Malachi chapters 3 and 4. There it says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them, like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. And in chapter 4, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked." There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. So John expected that all the things that those verses suggested would happen, particularly that there would be judgment on those who did not believe. Jesus quoted the good things from Isaiah. John has looked at the much more difficult things in the book of Malachi particularly if you live in a hostile society, it is important and encouraging to remember how hostile the society in which Jesus and the early church lived and worked was. Now we read from chapter 7, verse 36, to the end of the chapter.
1: Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money-lender, One owed him five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you.
0: Go in peace. What does Jesus mean when he talks about debts? Do we have big debts or small debts to be cancelled? We probably think we have only small debts to pay, but Jesus is pointing out that big or small counts the same. Do we show as much love as we should for Jesus who cancelled our debts? Jesus was talking about the way in which those who followed him and were members of the people of God needed to remember that they were in debt to God. We, living later, know that we rely on Jesus dying for us to cancel the things in our lives which stop us being accepted by God. Since all have sinned, it does not matter whether our sins are big or small. They still stop us being accepted by the Lord. Only in Christ can we have acceptance by God. And now, question five. The Pharisee, in the final episode of this chapter, is clearly much more concerned with things and ideas. The woman is only concerned with people. What can we learn then from these two stories? It is important to remember that some people are very concerned with people, but some, a smaller number, find their interest is taken more by ideas and things than people. Both sorts of people are necessary in a healthy church and in a healthy society. Question 6. In what ways has this chapter stressed faithfulness? Nearly all this chapter, and the next, is about people acting out their faith as a result of what they saw Jesus do. They were in a very positive way following him, not just thinking about him. That is faithfulness. The message to us must be that we have to follow Jesus and not just go to church on Sunday. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday Sunday. But as usual on Partakers, .partakers www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.